Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. We're kicking off a new series this week, as Simon said, and it's a three-week series called Get Rich Quick. And the world seems to be obsessed, doesn't it, with um, shortcuts, especially when it comes to wealth. And it reminded me of when, in my first job, when I was invited to join what I now know was a pyramid scheme. Anybody heard of this? So in my naivety, um, I was told that if you give a certain amount of money into something, then you're going to get a shed load back. Um, And that's as easy as it is. So being young, being in probably 20 or 21, um, which was only a couple of years ago, obviously. Um, so I, took a, I t- actually took the amount out of my bank account. And I was about to go and invest into this scheme. And a really wise guy I, wo- I worked with took me up to one side and said, Jane, I'm not going to tell you to do it or not to do it. But do you realize that actually the only people that ever get any money from these schemes are the people right at the top? And the likelihood is there's going to be a long, long, long time, as in never, that you see anything back for what you're investing in. And also, it's fraudulent. It's against the law. And that's the bit that frightened me. You know, I didn't want to do anything that was against the law. And so because of that guy's wisdom into my life, I put my money back into my bank account. But do you know what? I was tempted to get rich quick because what I saw was the, was the dollar signs. It's like, so if I give you this, I'm going to get 10 times back. Ching, ching, ching. It, it got me to caught my attention. But the reality is, isn't it, that when we involve ourselves in get-rich-quick schemes, it more often than not always leaves us in debt and worse off than we were when we started. So what are we talking about then? <clears throat> Why call our series Get Rich Quick? Um, well, there is a way of getting rich quick when it comes to God and when it comes to his way of working and investing into our world and us in return having an investment back into, into his. And we're going to cover three areas over the next three weeks leading up to our Compassion Sunday that Leon spoke about in our video clip in LTV. And the first one that I've got to talk about this morning is about love, okay? And I don't know about you, but we look at our world today. Um, our world needs a lot of loving. And it reminded me of that old song, what the world needs now is love. Oh, showing your age. Uh, it's the only thing that there's just too little of. Too little of. It's a tough challenge, love, isn't it? It's tough to define. And I looked online and there was a survey done with children asked what love is. And I just want to share some of them with you. And Billy, age five, said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Five-year-old. Danny, age seven, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him, just to make sure it tastes okay. No, Danny, that isn't why we do it. We do it because we're gasping for a drink and we're going to have a little nip before we give it on. Sorry to burst all your bubbles there. But Russ will never have me make a drink for him again. So Bobby, age seven, said, Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening your presents and just listen. Tell you what, we need some wisdom of these kids, don't we? We need some wisdom from these kids. Mark age six. Love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and doesn't think it's gross. (laughs) Do you know what? You know when you've cracked it in a marriage, don't you? You can still have that conversation with the door open. Um, 
But there are two that I really think we need to take hold of this morning. They're going to come on the screen. The first one's by Jessica, age eight. And Jessica said this, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. And then Nika, age six, said this, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. I think we need a few million more Nikas in our world. Because something kind of seems to happen when we become an adult, though. Because if we get an adult to define what love is, it suddenly becomes a little bit more cynical. Those of you who remember the, the, the artist Hadaway, he sang, what is love? And his next line was, baby, don't hurt me. And then one adult described it as this, love is temporary insanity cured by marriage. I'm not quite sure where I stand on that one. But it can be a really, really confusing word. And, and it's not just all about being in love. And I think that's what our world and our culture reduces love to. We reduce it down to a set of feelings when it's actually so much more and so much so greater than that. And on the night that Jesus would be arrested, he gave his followers this instruction, which would become the purpose, the purpose by which they then went on to live their lives. And it was this. I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you will know that he also gave two other commandments to his followers to live by. To love God with all you are and to love your neighbour as yourself. That's to love each other fully and completely. That includes the people I don't necessarily like. Even the annoying ones, the irritating ones, the difficult ones, the people who have hurt me. And I know that I could be in one of those categories for you this morning. So what does Jesus want our love to look like when I'm outside of this building and I'm in my day-to-day -day world? Well, I think Nika had the insight, really. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. You see, we can love when we're intentional. When we're intentional. And what does that mean? Well, when we look to see what the Bible has to say about love, it often describes what love does. Because basically, love is what love does. And the way that people know that you're a loving neighbour is not because of what you do, it's because of what you do, it's not because of what you think about them or even necessarily what you feel about them. It's what you do. It's what you do. Because the truth is, I may not feel particularly loving towards you today. I may even not be thinking particularly loving thoughts about you, but I can still love. I can still love. How? Because love is so much more than a feeling. I want to suggest to you, I firmly believe that love is a choice. It's a choice of our will to act in a loving way. And not like the way that the world would tell you to love. You know, where certain people are at the top because their lives seem to matter more. And other people are at the bottom because their lives seem to matter less. That's one of the world's get-rich-quick ideas. When we look at Jesus and the way he loves, he tells me that every person matters. Every person matters. The problem is, my friends, is that I have a challenge with that. It bothers me. 
but it's a challenge I can get over with the help of God. Because firstly, I need to understand that my love is simply not enough. My love is simply not enough. There's just not enough love in me. There isn't enough love in me. I cannot naturally love the people the way that you would want me to, Jesus. Because you know why? Because my love can be easily reduced to, I love you if, I love you when, I love you because, I love you so that. And then I can find people too annoying or too irritating or just playing too weird. You're just not like me. And then I know I can be irritable when I'm hungry, when I'm tired. I can feel frustrated. I can feel unappreciated. And I know that you find it a challenge to love me too. That's why I know that my love on my own is not enough and neither is yours. And then I tend to think that you need to change or the circumstance needs to change. And why is that? Because my natural love can often be seen as a passionate desire for something or for someone or a strong feeling towards my friendship group that I've chosen or a fond affection for my family. So if that's true, what's the answer? What's the answer? The only way to love like God wants me to love is to let God love through me. Because then however I feel or however I'm thinking, I can still choose to act patiently or to act with kindness. God isn't asking me to change my feelings in as much that he's asking me to act in love and then to keep on acting in that love. That's what's going to distinguish me as somebody who has chosen to follow Jesus from the rest of my world. This is what enables me to get rich quick when it comes to love. And no one has been better at loving people than the one who gave the ultimate act of love, the one who died for every person that has ever lived or ever will live on this planet Earth. What a depth, what a richness. A three-year mission, definitely not a get-rich-quick kind of idea. So what is Jesus' style of love then? And I found this explanation, but I couldn't find who's written it, so I apologise, but I'm going to show it. It says this. Looking for an opportunity to show love to a person, no matter how undeserving, in ways that leave a profound impression about God's best loving intention for his or her life. That seems huge to me. So let's break it down. Let's break it down. Look for the next person to love. Just look for the next person to love. You see, I can't change the world this morning by declaring to you that I'm going to love everybody, but I can change my world by loving one person at a time. Now, I'm not saying throw all caution to the wind and start doing reckless things and dangerous things, but we do need to get past our stigmas and our stereotypes, and I'm going to say it this morning, we need to get over our favouritism. Ever thought someone's been a favourite? Maybe by a parent? Maybe you feel one of your siblings is favoured more than you? Or a teacher? Or even your boss? Ever thought someone got a promotion when you felt equally as qualified? Or felt like you've been the victim of some kind of discrimination, maybe because of how you looked 
or how intelligent you seemed or didn't seem or your race or your gender or your family's perceived social status? How did that make you feel? Favoritism leaves scars. Favoritism leaves scars. I can remember the times when I felt people were preferred over me or people were treated differently to me. And I can take you back to those moments and I can even remember what that feels like. And the Bible has some really strong stuff to say on this topic in the book of James. And we're going to look at the book of James, which is in the New Testament, over the next couple of weeks. And just a bit of background about James. James is probably the brother of Jesus. And even though Jesus was family, James didn't at first kind of believe Jesus was who he said he was. But now we see him being really prominent in the direction of the early church. In fact, Paul called him a pillar. And he was eventually martyred for his faith. And make no mistake, James is writing to people who are already following Jesus, who would say, I love Jesus. I want to be like him. James is writing to those people. But even if you wouldn't consider yourself this morning somebody who follows Jesus, or you're just checking it out, so this may be even your first time, so you're really welcome. There's something we can gain from James's insight and wisdom this morning. You see, love is welcoming to all. And church should be a place where we experience that welcome, but it wasn't like that in James's day. And it saddens my heart to say that I know it isn't always like that now. So let's see what James has to say. It's going to come up on the screen. It's going to be from the Passion Translation. It's the first nine verses of chapter two. And he says this, My dear brothers and sisters, fellow believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus followers, how could we say, how could we say that we have faith in him and yet we favour one group of people above another? Suppose an influential man comes into your worship meeting wearing gold rings and expensive clothing and also a homeless man in shabby clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the rich man in expensive clothes and say, here's a seat of honour for you right at the front, but you turn and say to the poor beggar dressed in rags, well, you can stand over here, or sit over there on the floor in the back, then you've demonstrated gross prejudice among yourselves and used evil standards of judgment. So listen carefully, my dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the world's eyes? to be those who are rich in faith. And won't they be the heirs of the kingdom realm, he promised to those who love him. But yet you insult and shun the poor in your efforts to impress the rich. Isn't it the wealthy who exploit you and drag you into court? Aren't they the very ones who blaspheme the beautiful name of the one you belong to? Your calling is to fulfill the royal law of love as given to us in this scripture, what Jesus gave his disciples, we talked about earlier. You must love and value your neighbour as you love and value yourself. For keeping this law is the noble way to live. But when you show prejudice, you commit sin and you violate this royal law of love. You see, when James was writing this, he was writing a time where there were masters and slaves. That was still predominant in the world that James lived in. And now we have the church. The church has been birthed. It didn't exist before. And now we have this place where masters and slaves were going to church for the first time together. Together. 
they were actually on an equal footing in the eyes of God. So what would happen is most, most, well, every time through the same door, you would have somebody walk in the door looking really incredibly well-dressed, gold, fine clothes, coming in right next door to somebody, maybe coming in their work clothes, or maybe hadn't had a bath or had a wash, coming through the same door into the same place. And in James's day, there were places of honour, like, like VIP seating. Like when you go to the theatre, you've got the box seats. That's how it was. That's how it was. And the preferred guests got to sit down. And the less preferred guests, if I can call them that, got to stand up or sit on the floor. And James is hinting here at our natural inclination, our natural leaning to assign a value to wealth and a lack of value to a lack of wealth. Now, in our world, it may not be about money. Maybe about the area where you live. It may be the job title you hold. And what happens when we start to see people in this way is, I think if I can associate with you, maybe I can get some of that perceived status that I think you have. Maybe I can gain some kind of advantage in some way. And in James's day, the rich were typically exploiting people. And James was horrified, horrified to see his friends acting in the same way, sucking up to these people in exactly the same way. And he's saying, hang on, guys, will you just stop? Stop it. This is how it may be in the world, but when it comes to the church, when it comes to the family of God, we should never be like this. Never be like this. We shouldn't look at them the way the world may view them. So back to James. What he's saying is don't devote yourself to trying to be like those people. Because favouritism is translated as a respecter of persons. And James is saying don't be a respecter of persons. Don't treat people differently. Why? Because in God's economy, in God's worldview, do you know what? There really is only God and people. There really is only God and people, not different levels of classes, you know, or levels of people. Stop trying to impress people, Jane. But if you do show favouritism, there's an outcome, and it's found in verse 4. And it's going to come up on the screen again. It says this, You've demonstrated gross prejudice among yourselves and used evil standards of judgment. That word among should really be translated as in. And basically, James is saying, Jane, when you show favoritism, you're showing what's on the inside of you. And I know that I can show favoritism. And let me tell you, it may not be as blatant as people coming in and saying, well, you can have a chair or you can sit at my feet or you can stand at the back. But how about when I choose to avoid somebody? Or maybe I put somebody down and I'm talking to them. Or maybe when I start getting that superior thinking in my brain that puts me on a different level to where I think you are. That's the world's way of getting rich quick. Because then my world only revolves around one central character and that's me. And in that economy, I only need to love me. So what does James say is the remedy for this? It's in verse 8. It says, your calling... 
My calling, if you follow Jesus this morning, is to fulfill the royal law of love as given to us in this scripture. You must love and value your neighbour as you love and value yourself. And there are seven words for love in the Greek. And in this one, the word love here is the word agape. And that's God love. That's divine love. That's outside of me love. I can't make that in myself. God has to love that through me. So what does this all mean? Well, if you came to church this morning and say, Brad Pitt came in. Brad Pitt followed you in and came and sat right on the front row here. And you'd all be looking, wouldn't you? It's Brad Pitt. It's Brad Pitt. But then Sandra Bullock came in and came and sat down here. And you'd be like, oh my, you'd be on your phone tweeting, wouldn't you? You know, a bit of social media. Guess who's coming to us? Sandra Bullock's coming to our church. Would you be distracted? Would you be distracted? I guarantee you would be. I guarantee you'd be less listening to what I was saying and watching what they were doing. Brad and Sandra would have your attention. But then what if in a moment of explosive lightning and thunder, God suddenly appeared here and allowed us to have a small glimpse of who he is, of who he is. Everything else would fade away in the presence of that sight. And that song that we sang before, nothing else matters. That's why nothing else matters. Because in the light of God's presence, everything else would fade away. And would Brad and Sandra have your attention then? No. They would be just like you and me. Because I tell you what happens. When I lose sight of who God is, I start to put people in categories and values and classes. And in God's economy, there is him and there is us. Otherwise, you start to be something or someone I can get something from rather than someone I can give something to. You see, James is saying that when you show favoritism, Jane, you're actually hurting yourself. You're breaking something within yourself. You're reducing yourself. This isn't the richness that God wants for our lives. And showing favoritism is a really low risk strategy because it costs me nothing. I'm pretty sure what your reaction is going to be if I talk to you. The situation's often familiar. I feel comfortable, but we all know, don't we? that no one ever really grows when they're in their places of comfort. And actually, if we should show any preference at all, shouldn't it be to the poor and the hurting and the rejected? So in looking at this and challenging myself, I've had to ask myself questions like, Jane, how are you doing with treating the homeless? How are you doing with treating people maybe with, with some mental health challenge? How are you doing with people maybe that come from a different region of the world or have a different ethnicity to you or a different religion to you? How are you doing? These are the high-risk strategies. You don't know what part of their world they're going to share with you. And I might have to change something or give something of myself that I wasn't expecting to give that I wasn't anticipating but listen they're the interactions that Jesus is leading us to have because that is me loving with 
intention. And Leon said a couple of weeks ago a phrase that's really stuck with me. You can't love at speed. I don't have to be telling people what everyone else sees about them. I need to be telling them what God sees about them. Loving people is messy, but let me tell you, it's rich. It is so, so rich. And this has been such a challenge for me, looking at this topic, because I so look at the times when I know that I favour. I may not do it consciously, but there's something naturally within us that I know that my love is not enough for me to conquer this. I have to let God start to love through me. And ask the guys to come back. You know, Jesus intentionally moved towards people. He used what he had to make a difference. And here's our challenge. If I have any privilege or some kind of privilege, which we do living in a first world country, a privilege, or any wealth or any influence, there's a call on me to use that to make a difference to somebody else's life. Let's love people in tangible and unforgettable ways for them. For them. We can make their lives rich. And in return, we get something back. That's a pyramid scheme I want to be involved in. Let's be love with intention. Let's not be fooled like the world fools us in reducing our love into being in love and it being a feeling. That's transient. Let's be love with intention. And we start within these walls. Inside this church, I can learn to love like Jesus and I can make mistakes and get it wrong. And I may, in three weeks' time, still walk past five people because I need to speak to somebody. But do you know what? There's something in me that's going to pull me back because I want to be somebody who loves with intention. The place to start to learn to love everybody well is within our local church. It's where we get to practice on each other and it's then when we get to leave with each other and we go to love everyone in our world. This is how the world will know that we follow Jesus. By the love you have for each other and then for them. Love is choosing to give another person what they need the most even when they may deserve it the least. Unmet need is always driven by feeling. Being intentional with our love meets an unmet need. So what's our response? What should our response be this morning? Next time you want to avoid somebody, next time you see somebody in the supermarket and you go down a different aisle, I'm saying that because I do that a lot. Maybe I should add some richness to my life. God may smile if I decide to go towards them instead of turning away from them. Next time you've got that put down impulse, when that line comes in, you want to say something that makes you feel a little bit more superior than they do, check it. Add some richness to your life. God might smile if you ask that person how they're doing. And next time you have that superiority impulse, pull back. 
pull back on that. Add some richness to your life. See how God may smile over you and move through you by being Jesus to that seemingly inferior person, actually to that person who isn't inferior at all. Wouldn't it be awesome if just for one day we could see people how God sees them, what He values? I tell you, I bet it would be vastly different to what I see. I want to be a person who loves with intention, don't you? Don't you? And we have a real opportunity the next couple of weeks with Compassion Sunday. Maybe you could start thinking about whether you could help by sponsoring a child through Compassion. And on the 15th of March, there'll be staff here and volunteers here with opportunities to talk about what that could look like as we look to help them with their work in Tanzania, as Leon said, loving with intention to make their lives richer and in return also our own. Someone asked us to stand this morning. This is something we should all be responding to. And I'm gonna give you two things to think about. The first one is this. Is there somebody in your world currently that is a person in your world that you can't necessarily get something from, but you could give something to? Is there somebody in your world whose life you could make just a little richer? And it may be something really small to them, small to you, sorry, but it becomes huge to them. And then for us, within the walls, when was the last time you spoke to somebody in this place, in this room that you'd never spoken to before? There are loads of people in our three locations and do you know what? I don't know you all. I don't know them all. But do you know what gives value to somebody? Asking their name and remembering that name ups that value because you've told them that they matter. Could we be a person? Could we be a community that makes a commitment to love with intention by doing something so simple by saying, do you know what? Every time I go into that place, I'm going to say hello to just one person that I've never said hello to before. Loving with intentionality. Could we give ourselves to that this morning as a community? As Life Central Church, could we be known as a community that loves with intention? pray and then we're going to sing. Father, we don't want to be people that always want something from someone. We want to be a community of people that we want to be givers. We want to be investors. We want to be love planters. We want our love to be what love does. Father, we don't want to reduce the love, the agape love that you have, that you say we must love people with down to our own natural love because there will never be enough of that love in me to meet everyone. But Father, if we let you love through us, we could make a difference to our world by loving with intention one person at a time. 
God, would you challenge us? Would you challenge us to be people that don't avoid, that don't categorize, that don't classify, but see people as you see them, where there is you and there is us. And we're all on an equal footing in your world. Would you lead us in your love to those around us? Because we ask it in Jesus' name.